My dear brothers and sisters, I'm very happy to be in your midst to share God's word with you. Today I would like to talk about Mo Moses and his encounter with uh, the burning bush and the blessing that he gave to St. Joseph in the name of the burning bush. I would like to begin this uh, session with the reading from the book of Exodus, chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, and then 10. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burnt up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Come no closer, remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. So the Lord said to him, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My dear brothers and sisters, Moses is supposed to be the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. And the scripture itself says, book of Deuteronomy chapter 34, 10, And there arose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. This is what the scripture says about Moses. Deuteronomy 34, verses 10. And there arose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses. Moses is such a great prophet. His greatness arises from few facts. He had a very great intimacy with God. Very great intimacy. He had such an intimacy with him that he could speak to God as he was speaking to a friend. And in the 33rd chapter of Exodus, we see him Lord, I would Moses tells, Lord, I would like to see your glory. And the, and the Lord submits and says, I shall make my glory pass before you. And then he says, and I shall reveal my holy name to you. That's what God tells Moses. And then he reveals, when you go to the 33rd chapter of Exodus, verses 19, the Lord very beautifully describes his name to Moses. He says like this, 
Show me your glory, I pray, said Moses. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you the name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. This is the promise that God made to Moses in the book of Exodus chapter 33. And then he fulfills this promise. He says, I will show you my holy name, God says. And when you come to the next chapter, 34, verses 5, God reveals his name. And he says, I am the Lord. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord says twice. And then he goes to describe almost seven attributes of himself. God gives seven attributes of his name. And the, God that, uh, the name that God revealed to Moses was Yahweh. There's a word called tetragram. W-H-Y-H-W-H. That is the actual name God revealed to Moses. And the Jews were so afraid even to pronounce this name. And therefore, therefore they substituted this name with other things. Like Yahweh, Adonai, Jehovah. So different names they gave. They were so scared to pronounce that tetragrammaton, that four-lettered words of Yahweh. But God himself gives a very beautiful description about his name in the Bible itself. Chapter 33, 34 is full of description of the meaning of God's name. Almost about seven descriptions he gives. The first one is El. Originally derived from strength, is often used for God. Is one of his names is eternity and his boundless powers are expressed in that particular word El. Israel. Whenever you read some Greek words, you find this L coming at the end. L is the name of God. Israel. Samuel. So always that L is referring to God who is all-powerful, all-eternal. That is one of the names that God reveals. Then he says, I am the merciful being who is full of tenderness and compassion. God is merciful being. Then he says, I am the gracious one. It means he whose nature is goodness and tenderness, a loving God. And then he says, I am long-suffering, the being who because of his goodness and tenderness is not easily irritated, but suffers long and is kind, waiting for the sinners to change their heart. And then we have the great and the mighty one. And again, we have the sixth uh, explanation. The bountiful being, he was exuberant in his beneficence. And then he calls himself the true one. And then the preserver of the bountifulness. And then he calls himself the one who bears away our iniquity and transgressions. And that is our redeemer. And then he calls himself the righteous one. The God of retributive and vindicative justice. Therefore, in that book itself, God calls and describes himself with all these adjectives. And that is the name of God that God had revealed to Moses. My dear brothers and sisters, Moses is great because God made a lot of revelations to him which he has not made to any other prophet in the Old Testament. So much of intimacy Moses had with God. And that's the reason it is said in the scriptures that no man is as great as a prophet Moses on the face of the earth. Such a great prophet Moses was. Now going into the life of Moses, the life of Moses could be divided into 
three periods of 40 each. He lived up to the age of 120. First 40 years, he lived as a prince in the court of Pharaoh. He was the adopted son of the Pharaoh's daughter. So he lived in the court of Pharaoh for 40 years. And the next 40, he lived as a fugitive, as a shepherd in the wilderness. And the third 40, when he was 80 years old, God called him to lead the people of Israel out from Egypt at the age of 80. And then for 40 years, he struggled with the people, and he died at the age of 120. That is the three parts of the life of Moses. We would like to just, I would like to just briefly go and uh, analyze this particular life of Moses. The first, the early part of Moses' life. We know the story of Moses. The Israelites were suffering as slaves in Egypt. And it was a time when God seems to have forgotten the Israelites. It looked like that. And the male children of Israelites were put to death. And Moses' mother, her name is Joshebeth, and Moses' father's name is Amram. So both of them, you know the story, they put them in a put him in a basket, and then he lands up in a, the court of Pharaoh and he grows up there. My dear brothers and sisters, one thing we should always remember, God has got a purpose in our lives. We are not the products of accidents. We are not the products of accidents. God has got a mission in our life. God has got a purpose in our life. We need to decipher this purpose. We are not just products of uh, accidents. Our parents came together and then we are born. It's not like that. We have a mission. That's what Cardinal Newman said. He's a great cardinal, a scholar in the Oxford. He said, I have a mission in life. God has got a mission for me which he has not given to anybody else. It is I who has to fulfill that mission for which he has called us. It's true for everybody here. We are all on this earth with a purpose. Some purpose God has given for us. And only we can fulfill this purpose in our lives. And that's the reason suicide is never allowed in the Catholic Church. Because we are terminating or putting an end to the plan of God. Whatever may, be in the, whatever may happen in our lives, we should always know this. God has got a reason. God has got a purpose. God is with us. And he will intervene at the right point in our life. There's a very beautiful uh, prayer that was written by a soldier. I think you must be knowing it. Most richly blessed. I ask God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn humbly to obey. I ask God for health that I might do great things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked God for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might become wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I ask for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing that I asked for, but everything I hoped for. 
Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I am, among all men, most richly blessed. Sometimes we don't get what we ask. Sometimes we don't get what we desire. But one thing is sure, whatever we get, that is the will of God, and that is the best for us. You know the story of Joseph in the Old Testament, Patriarch Joseph. He was hated by his brothers because he was the beloved of the father. And then they persecuted him, they put him in a well, then they carried him, lifted him up, they sold him as a slave. And then he went to Egypt, and they, he was a good man, God-fearing man. But there also tragedy struck him. He was put in the prison. And in the prison, he interprets the dream. And then he somehow reaches the king and then becomes the, almost the home minister in Egypt. If you look at his life, it's a very winding, meandering life. Here and there it goes. Lot of tragedies, lot of upsets in life. But everything in the finally we see, God had a purpose for all his falls in life. And as I said sometimes back, a, a, a biblical commentator, a commentator very beautifully said, God draws straight through crooked lines. God draws straight through crooked lines. Sometimes it looks crooked for us, but in the view of God, which is inscrutable for us, which is mysterious for us, it's a straight line that he draws, and he alone knows the purpose for which these things are happening. So in the life of Moses also, so many debacles, so many setbacks, all those things were happening, but God had a purpose in Moses' life. And after that, the first half of his, first uh, part of Moses' life, then we have the second part, which is uh, the second 40, wherein God calls Moses. Can we have a hymn, please? Can you sing a hymn? I'll just come back. I need to get something from my room. Check. 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 Check, check. Lord, I need you. Oh, I 
The second period in Moses' life begins after a tragedy. Moses was brought up as an Egyptian, but then heart of heart, he was a Hebrew. And then when he finds an Egyptian master beating a Hebrew slave, then he kills that Egyptian master, and then he buries him in the sand. And the next day, people come to know about it. Then Moses runs. He leaves the land and runs away to Midian. He runs there and lives as a fugitive. That is the second part of Moses' life. 40 years got over, then the next 40 begins. And there he goes, and then he gets married to Jethro's daughter, Zephorah. And then Moses lives a very normal life, a very ordinary life. What a kind of a tremendous change. He was a prince. And now he becomes an ordinary man, a shepherd. And for 40 years, is a shepherd. Nothing great in his life you hear about, but the ordinary life he carries on. Sometimes, my dear brothers and sisters, in our lives too, sometimes we are very active, we do a lot of good things. Suddenly, something happens, we are just grounded. We should always put our trust in God. God is waiting for a chance to again lift us up. This may be a time for us to recuperate, to strengthen ourselves. 
like that god gave moses 40 years preparation for the next assignment that he was supposed to give and then we have that uh, incident of the burning bush but there's a very beautiful legend you know there's a, uh, two books uh, the legends of the jews beautiful books in that it is given why did god call moses so one day moses was a shepherd he was uh, tending his sheep on a mountain and then as he was uh, looking after the sheep one of the little lambs ran away from the mountain and started going down moses left the other sheep and then he went behind this uh, little lamb it went down the mountain and after there was a small stream that was running and this uh, lamb went over there and started drinking water then moses stood over there for some time he just waited he didn't get any he didn't get angry he waited and waited the lamb drank water slacked his thirst and after some time moses said i didn't know that you were so thirsty and then now that you have come down the mountain your legs must be paining so i will take you and put you on my shoulders he took the lamb put the lamb on his shoulders and then he walked up and god was looking at this man if this man is so compassionate to one of his uh, sheep how much more kind and compassionate this must this man could be for my people israel and then god decided to select moses to be the leader they said the kindness of this man a man who could understand the pain of a lamb can also be the man who can understand the pain of the people so that is the reason the jews say that god called moses to be the liberator and then we know that uh, moses was tending his sheep and when you come to the third chapter of uh, the book of exodus his experience with the burning bush now the again the legend of the jews says this one when god called moses moses what moses heard was the voice of his father amram because god said if i speak in my own voice moses might get scared so therefore god spoke in the voice of his father amram so when moses heard the voice he thought his father is speaking and therefore he turned back and looked and that's the time that he wanted to go in that direction god was so kind so understanding that he spoke in the words of his father and when moses went close by then god said it is not your father who is speaking but i the lord the yahweh is speaking to you god revealed to him and then moses has this beautiful vision which is uh, unforgettable for him the burning bush my dear friends i don't know how many how many of you have gone to the holy land if you go to the holy land and sometimes when you go to egypt you go via the sinai desert a vast desert from morning till evening we keep traveling only in the desert but when you go in between you have there st catherine's monastery monks are staying over there that is the place where the burning bush incident took place when you go over there they show you some uh, bushes also where god apparently appeared to moses they do you know they sell one kind of a stone i don't know how many of you have seen this is a stone that i have over here this is a stone that is taken from the place at sinai where god appeared in this stone you will see that bush where god appeared this is called the bush's name is called as acacia bush it's a ordinary very mundane bush that you find everywhere in that particular place and it is in this bush that god appeared 
One thing about this rock is, this rock is taken from that mountain. You break this rock, you find this uh, bushes inside also. Any number of uh, pieces you break it, you will see the bushes over here. This actually is the acacia bush, what you see over here. And one thing I'm wondering is how God has imprinted his presence, his memory on these rocks. And it's almost about uh, 3,300 years after the appearance of God at, to Moses at uh, Horeb. But still, the rocks over there carry this uh, imprint on itself. If you break this one, again, you'll have this figure of uh, this uh, acacia bush. You can just pass it on to have a look at it. If you want, you just break once and see. Inside also you have the imprint of the bush. The powerful way that God has imprinted his uh, presence in that particular place when he appeared to Moses. When God appeared to Moses, Moses was a very reluctant man. We find Moses gives five excuses not to accept the responsibility that God wanted to put on him. God said, I will send you to Pharaoh to plead on behalf of my people. When Moses gives five excuses saying that he doesn't want to go. When you come to the third chapter of uh, Exodus, we have this. First he says, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? What work do I have? I've already left this land 40 years back and I've been suffering because I spoke or I stood on behalf of the Israelite. And now again, God wants me to go. He said, why should I go? Who am I to go? First objection, he says, God overrules that objection. Then secondly, he says, again, Moses said to God, if I come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors sent me to you, and they ask me, what is this name? What shall I say to him? Again, second objection he raises. That also God gives his name and overrules his objection. The third objection. But suppose they do not believe me or listen to me, but, I, but say, the Lord did not appear to you. If they doubt my statements, he says, I don't want to go because they may not believe me. Then in fourth we have, but Moses said to God, oh, oh my Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor even now. I'm a stammerer, he says, so I don't want to go. And fifthly also he says, oh Lord, please send somebody else. I don't want to go. That is the reluctance that Moses had when God called him at the bush. In spite of all those appearances, Moses still did not want to go as the messenger of God, as a liberator of God. We find that. But when God called him, although he refused, finally he agreed. But after he agreed, we find him as a man who is totally committed to the cause for which he surrendered. Total commitment on the part of Moses that we find. There are a few things that I would like to speak about Moses. Moses, in spite of being such a great liberator, such a friend of God, he was not allowed to enter the promised land. That is a great tragedy. A man who worked so much for 40 years, he gave up everything for God, wanting to work for the liberation of the people. But the tragedy is that God did not allow him to enter the promised land. But he showed him the promised land from Mount Nebo, from the Moab country. Why is it that God did not allow Moses to enter? There's one particular reason, yes? 
There are two incidents of striking the rock. In the book of Exodus 17, God tells him, you go and strike the rock, you'll get water. Moses did that. He went and struck the rock and water came. That was a fun thing. Second time again, we have another incident of striking the rock in the book of Deuteronomy we have. In the book of Numbers 28 to 11, God told Moses, you go and speak to the rock, he says. Go and speak to the rock and the water will come. Now Moses, what he does, he goes along with Aaron and then he tells the people, you rebellious people, do you want water? I shall give you water, he says. I shall give you water. And he takes it and strikes it twice. He strikes it up, but the water comes out. People quench their thirst. But herein we find the fault of Moses. The fault of many, anything. One thing is, God told him to go and speak to the rock. But he went and struck the rock twice. Secondly, Moses got angry with the people. He said, you rebellious people, do you want water? I will give you water, he says. He got angry. And the third thing is, it is not Moses who is giving the water. It is God who is giving the water. And therefore, that is the reason. And one more important reason is this. Moses misrepresented God. When God told Moses, in the first instance, to go and strike the rock, that is, the rock will yield living water. It is the image of Christ there. Christ is a rock, rock of all ages. And Christ was struck once. And therefore, that is sufficient. Striking Christ was sufficient. His death on the cross is sufficient for all eternity, for all human beings. That is the image that is present over here. And again, when God told him, he did not tell him to strike the rock. Christ should not be crucified for the second time. The death of Christ is sufficient for all sins, for all ages. And that's the reason God told him not to strike, but to speak to the rock. Therefore, it means to say that we do not need to have the second death of Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. So therefore, Moses, when he went and struck again, it is an act that is against God. And that's the reason God wanted to make a correction and tell the people what Moses did is wrong. Christ is enough for us once. He's the rock of all ages. From him, it, the living waters flow to us. We don't need a second death. One death is enough for us. So to make that correction, God severely punishes Moses and does not allow him to enter the promised land. It is a great tragedy for this man, a man who struggled so much, a man who fought so much, a man who sacrificed so much, finally was not given the satisfaction of stepping into the land of Cana. God took him on Mount Nebo, and then he showed him, that is the land. If you go to Holy Land, they will make you stand where Moses stood, and then you can see that uh, Holy Land from there, Israel, Canaan. So God showed him, this is the land that I am going to give you, and you will not enter. And it also gives another message. Law will not save us. The one who will lead us into the promised land, the one who will lead us into Canaan is Joshua. In the Old Testament, it was Joshua who led. And Jesus' name is Joshua in Greek. And therefore, it is Jesus who leads us into the promised land, not Moses, not his laws. That is the lesson that God wanted to teach Moses over there. But for all the faults of Moses, Moses was the most 
humble man. The book of Numbers, chapter 12, verses 13, it says, No man is as humble as Moses on the face of the earth. That's what the scripture says. In spite of being such a great leader, in spite of being so conversant with God, so friendly with God, so intimate with God, he was a man who was very, very humble. And another thing about his virtue is this. When Moses died, he was 120 years old. His eyesight was perfect. The man who had seen God, the man who had spoken to God, his eyesight was perfect. There were no wrinkles on his face, even at the age of 120. And again, the Bible says that Bible says that Moses was incredibly strong physically. So much of strength he had, even at the age of 120. That is the gift of God. Somebody who works for God, somebody who lives for God, God will give special blessings to them. And he gave to Moses. And Moses is a great, great, great prophet until overshadowed by Jesus Christ. Moses is a shadow. Jesus Christ is the reality. Moses is only a shade. Christ is the light. Moses is a type. Christ is the reality and the anti-type of everything. And it is only Christ who totally overshadows Moses. Now coming to the burning bush. Moses stood uh, on the mountain and then we have the incident of the burning bush. Now there is a certain message that we get from the burning bush. What is the burning bush emblematic of? What does it stand for? First and foremost, the burning bush stands for the preservation of the Israelites. Although they were very weak, because they are possessed by God, they shall remain forever. That is the message that God was giving Moses. The shrub, the acacia shrub is an ordinary shrub, and in that mountainous area at that time, it, it could have easily caught fire and become ash. But something that could uh, become an ash is not becoming ash, does not get consumed because of the presence of God. So are the people of Israel. They are slaves to the Egyptians. The Egyptians are very powerful. They can do anything to them. But in spite of that, what the message the Lord is giving is, because he is present with the, with the Israelites, they will live forever. They will be preserved by God beyond all imaginations. That's the first message. The second message is what the burning bush gives is it is emblematic of the church. God's presence will always be with the church and the church will live forever. We know the history of the church. For almost 312 years, the church was persecuted. Christians were taken, persecuted, put to the animals, the wild bees, exiled, tortured, torched. Everything was done to just annihilate the Christians. But finally, what happened? The Roman Empire got annihilated and the Christians are still surviving. Walter is a French philosopher of the 18th century, a renowned French philosopher and an atheist. He doesn't believe in God. And he fought and wrote terribly against the Catholic Church. He wanted to bring the Catholic Church totally down. And then once he said, in 100 years, the Bible shall not exist, he said. 
that is in the 18th century, he said, in 100 years, you will not find Bible anywhere on the face of the earth, he said. When he died 10 years later, his house was taken, and that became the Bible Society of France. That's what God will do. The church will survive. The church will survive. We may look weak. We may look poor. But because of the presence of God within us, in the church, we shall always live and we shall always survive. And the credit goes to God's presence in our lives. In the second century, when the Christians were put to death, one particular great writer, Tertullian, who was a convert from the heathenism and became a Christian, a very fiery lawyer and a writer, he said, the blood of the martyrs are the seeds of Christianity. The blood of the martyrs. The more blood is shed of the martyrs, every drop of blood will become a seed and it will sprout and many Christians will come about. The blood of the martyrs is a seed of Christianity, he said. And that's very true. The more blood was shed, more Christians came around. And now the whole of Roman Empire is gone. It's history. But the Christians are still flourishing. Flourishing is because of the presence of God. Because, and that is what the burning bush is emblematic. And thirdly, the burning bush is emblematic of the presence of Christ within us. We are weak beings. We are sinful beings. We are prone to fail. We are prone to death. But in spite of that, as long as Christ's presence is there with us, we will live forever. We will not be defeated. We will not be annihilated in any way. Our enemies may be very strong, like the Egyptians against the Hebrews. But still, because of the presence of God, as long as God is there with us, we will not be consumed as the burning bush also. It, was, it burnt and burnt and burnt, yet did not get consumed. It did not become an ash. It's precisely because the presence of God. So is the presence of God with us always. Now coming to the last point that I would like to say is, Moses was a man who was, uh, he couldn't forget this uh, incident of burning bush in his life. He couldn't forget. It was always in his mind. And before his death, he was giving his blessing to the 12 tribes. Such a great and beautiful attitude of this man. When he died, he wanted to bless the people and then go. He was not an embittered soul. He had so many problems because of the Jews and the Israelites over there. But still, his heart was good. He always wanted to bless and give something good for the people. In his life, he did that. Even in his death also, he wanted to give blessing before he parted. And therefore, he calls the 12 tribes and gives blessing to all the 12 tribes. One of the blessings that he gives is to Joseph. When you go to Deuteronomy chapter 33, verses 16, very beautifully he says to Joseph, and for the goodwill of him that dwells in the bush, be with you, he will say. For the goodwill of him, the goodwill of God who dwelt in the bush, be with you. And then he gives this blessing. He never forgets. He says, God's goodwill is there with us. And he who had that goodwill to stay in the bush, that's what he remembers that bush. 40 years. 40 years later, he remembers this one, what he experienced there. Because God, who made his appearance at the bush, had pledged and fulfilled all the promises that he made 40 years before. 
He had fulfilled all the promises. And Moses, when he is on his deathbed, he remembers that, that God has fulfilled all the promises that he has made to me. And therefore, in the name of the bush, he gives a blessing to Joseph and says, May the goodwill of the Lord, may the favor of the Lord who dwelt in the bush be with you, he says to Joseph. Therefore, my dear friends, as we gather over here, may we always have a close link with God. Moses is a great man. But as I said, Moses is only a shadow. In spite of being so great, he's only a shadow. And he's always a type. There is a lot of similarity between Moses and Christ. When Moses was born, a king wanted to kill him. When Christ was born, another king, Herod, wanted to kill Jesus. Moses lived in Egypt. Christ also for a short time lived in Egypt. When Moses went on the mountain and came down, his face was shining. And therefore, he has to cover his face with a veil whenever he spoke to the Israelites. And Jesus, when he went on Mount Tabor, his face was shining. Moses gave ten commandments. Christ has given us two commandments. The death of Moses is something very mysterious. The book of Deuteronomy says, they buried Moses on Mount Nebo, and to this day, no man knows where his grave is. Something very mysterious about his death. Nobody knows his grave. Such a great man. Everybody knew about him. He was a leader. He was a liberator. But where they buried, they didn't know. It looks as if God was the one who buried Moses. Something mysterious about his death. And so is the death of Christ. It's a mysterious death. It's a death that is enwrapped in mystery for us. And his death is a liberating death for us. Christ is greater than Moses. Sometimes Jesus is called as a second Moses, but Jesus completely overshadows Moses. Moses is only a shadow for us, in spite of being so great. But Christ is the greatest person in history, and he is the one who came to fulfill all the promises of the Old Testament. May the Lord always be with us to bless us. There was a very great scientist by name, Sir James Simpson. He was an English scientist. He has discovered many things in his life. One of the things that he discovered was in 1858, he discovered chloroform. And that was used at the time of uh, childbirth for women to, as a uh, painkiller. And he, many other things also he discovered. So one day when he was quite old, some of the students asked him one question. So you had made so many discoveries. What is your greatest discovery in life? The man thought for some time, an old man, a great scientist, well-known all around the world, he thought for some time, he said, my greatest discovery is this, that I am a great sinner, but Christ Jesus is my great savior, he said. I am a great sinner, but Christ Jesus is a great savior. That is the discovery that all of us should always make. We are all sinners. But one thing we should always remember, however big our sins are, Christ is greater than all our sins as a Savior. This is a realization that we should always come. We have Christ who is greater than all our weaknesses, all our sinfulness, and he can take care of us. May Christ be always your saving master in your life. Thank you and God bless you.